Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I know you've already been blessed by being here this morning. Um, the fact that you're here uh, has been a blessing to the rest of us, but then to be able to sing together and um, share the Lord's Supper together. IT, thanks for taking us to the cross and to the throne at the same time and those wonderful uh, words that he shared with us. And I hope you've been paying attention to the songs we've been singing, kind of setting up my thoughts for this morning as we, as we kind of get into God's Word. But first, I don't know how often you stop and consider the defining moments of your life. Because we all have them. We all have moments that, that sort of shape us. Either put us on a path or keep us on a path. Things that happen in our lives that sort of define who we are, what we're about. And sometimes those defining moments sort of sneak up on us. You know, we don't see them coming. We're, we're having what we think is an ordinary day and then something significant happens. We have a conversation or we find ourselves in a situation or you know, we just happen to be at the right place at the right time. Or maybe the wrong place at the wrong time. But we look back years later and say, that was a defining moment in my life. But it sort of snuck up on me. And there are other defining moments that they do define us, but we know they're coming. We expect them to happen. Graduating from high school is a defining moment. But you had 18 years to get ready for it, right? Now, getting married, that's a defining moment. But hopefully you put a little bit of thought into the whole process. Having a baby, it is a defining moment. But again, you have nine months to sort of get used to the idea of being a parent. Now, speaking of, of babies, it is also a defining moment when you very carefully take the little tiny newborn baby and place it in a car seat, strap it in so carefully and gently, get in the car and pull out away from the hospital going very slow, being very cautious, your wife is beside you, you look in the rearview mirror and there's a little new baby back there and you realize, my life will never be the same. This little thing is going home with me. No returns, no exchanges. going to live with me forever. It is a defining moment. Let me share with you another defining moment that I've been able to experience three times. I'm talking about kids still. It's that moment when I take my car keys and I hand them to my 16-year-old child. And for the first time, they sit down in my car and they drive away from my house all by themselves. It is a defining moment in a parent's life. I know it's a defining moment for all you 15 and 16-year-olds, but i got to tell you, it's a defining moment for a parent to see their child not so carefully and not so cautiously pull away from their house. And I'm thinking, you know, there goes my child in my car. And I know they're not very good drivers. You know, it's a defining moment. I read about a, a dad who was really struggling with letting his 16-year-old son drive his car by himself. He had his regular license, but the dad just couldn't bring himself to let the kid go off by himself in the car, mainly because that dad knew that his son had a habit of being a little bit reckless. But his son kept begging, Dad, let me drive by myself. i got to drive by myself sometime. So his father finally said, listen, I'll make kind of a test run out of this thing. 
I'm going to let you take the car all by yourself just down to the veterinarian's office to pick up the dog. It's five miles away. There's no turns. I want you to go straight there. I want you to go slowly, carefully, pick up the dog, come straight home. We'll see how it goes. I can do it, Dad. No problem. So he gets in the car. He very carefully backs out of the driveway and his father watches him disappear down the road. About 20 minutes later, he very slowly comes driving back into the driveway, pulls in as dad walks up to the car and said, well, how did it go? It went fine. Why do you think it went? It went fine. No problems. You didn't speed, did you? No, I didn't speed. You weren't reckless, were you? No, I wasn't reckless, dad. I was slow. I was careful. I was driving like an old man the whole way. And his father almost believed him until he looked into the back seat and saw the dog. And he realized, okay, he wasn't being quite as slow and careful as he said he was. The dog looks like he's experienced a few G-forces there, right? I'm telling you, it's a little bit sobering when as a parent, you get out of the driver's seat and watch your child get into the seat. It is a defining moment in a parent's life when somebody else takes the keys and trades places. Most of us... We like to be in the driver's seat, don't we? Martha and I travel together a lot. I am always in the driver's seat because that's just where I like to be. Most people, especially most men, we like to be in the driver's seat simply because we like to be in control. When I'm sitting in the driver's seat, I decide where we're going. I decide the route we're going to take. I decide the speed I'm going to travel at. I'm making all those decisions. It's my car. I'm making the decisions. And I'm sure many of you have had people ride with you, probably all of you, have had someone ride with you who have criticized your driving while you were in the driver's seat. Why are you going so slow? I think you're going too fast. Why are you following that truck? Pass them. You know, I know a better route. I can get us there quicker. Why is your turn signal still on? If you're like me, you get to a point where you get tired of people criticizing the way you're driving the car. And sooner or later, you get to a point where you say, listen, this is my car. I'm the one driving the car. I'm making the decisions. If you don't like the way I'm driving, I'll pull over and you can walk. Doesn't, you know, won't bother me at all. However, If for some reason you and I are traveling together and I'm driving my car and I make the decision to stop and let you drive my car and we trade seats, I'm assuming some things about you. I am trusting in the fact that you know how to drive a car. And I am trusting the fact that you're going to take care of my car, that you're going to get us where we want to go, and that you're going to take care of me as well, that I'm going to be safe. i got to trust you to drive my car. Because it's all about control, right? Who's in control? I want you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about control and surrendering control. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is riding into the the city of Jerusalem. Um, I want you to pay close attention to how he is being transported into the city. It's not in a chariot pulled with six black stallions. It's not in a throne carried by four strong men. 
He's riding on the back of a donkey. It is a story that we know very well, but I want you to pay close attention to sort of the scene, the vibe of the scene. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and all those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Again, that's a really well-known story. We, we call it the triumphal entry. Let me make a couple observations about that story. First, there's a large crowd welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem. But be sure you understand, not everybody in that crowd was a Jesus follower. Not everybody in that crowd had bought into Jesus and bought into His message. But let me tell you who was in that crowd. This is a crowd of people who have needs. This is a crowd of people who know what it means to want. These people know what it means to hurt. So they say to Jesus, Hosanna! Now that's a word that we don't use very often in our language today. But the word Hosanna actually has the same root word as to save. And when those people were shouting, Hosanna, they would have understood they were also shouting, Save us! Jesus, save us! Same root word. For instance, Psalm chapter 28, verse 9, Save your people. It's, it's the same word. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Or Psalm 118, O Lord, save us. Again, it's the same word. O oh Lord, Hosanna, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. So these people are shouting to Jesus, Hosanna, save us. And everyone in the crowd, they all have an agenda. They all want something. They're cheering for Jesus, but they want something. Hosanna, Jesus, come, save me. Come, take care of me. Come, heal me. Come, deliver me. Come, overthrow the Romans. Come, reclaim the temple. Come, get rid of the foreigners. Come, do what I want you to do. Come, bless me the way I want to be blessed. We'll keep shouting Hosanna if you will just bless us in the way we think we need to be blessed. We're glad to have you in the car, Jesus. But understand that we're still the ones in the driver's seat. 
Understand, it's still my car, my keys, my way. But we're happy to have you ride along with us. You know, there's a lot of people who find Jesus very handy to have around. We very much want Jesus in the car with us. As long as He stays in the passenger seat. Because we might come in, uh, upon something that we really need Jesus for. You really might need something He has to offer. So you want him in the car with you. We just want to make sure he keeps his hands off the steering wheel. We want him to keep him in, in the passenger seat. Now, Jesus, I have some health issues. And I really need you to do something about that right now. Now, I've got a situation at work and it's becoming a little bit troublesome. And I would like you, Jesus, to intervene in that situation. I have some anxiety and I need some of your peace. I'm sad, and I need some of your hope. I want you in the car with me. I need you in the car with me. But I really want you to stay in the passenger seat because I need to be in control. I like to be in control. And again, the reason's obvious, right? We do like to be in control. We like to be the ones calling the shots. Because if we trade places with Jesus and if He's in control, then there's things that I might not want to let go of. If He's in control, then that means there's things that aren't mine anymore. It's not my finances anymore. It's not my wallet anymore. I don't get to decide how generous I'm going to be. And I don't get to decide where and when and you know on what I'm going to spend my money. And that's pretty frightening. If I'm not in charge, then... It's not my ego anymore. It's not my agenda anymore. Now it's Jesus' agenda. If I'm not in charge, it's not my mouth anymore. I don't get to gossip. I don't get to put people down. I don't criticize others. I don't manipulate and intimidate and exaggerate. I don't get to put things on social media that I really feel. I don't get to argue with people on Facebook. Because I'm not in charge anymore. I get out of the driver's seat. I hand the keys over to Jesus. I'm fully engaged, by the way. Make no mistake, I'm probably more alive than I've ever been. But I'm not in charge anymore. It's not really my life anymore. Remember when Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, he said, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you too will appear with Him in glory. Now, by now you should have figured out the question I'm going to ask you this morning. should be pretty obvious by now. Who's driving your car? Who's in control of your life? Who's in the driver's seat and who's in the passenger seat? Have you really surrendered control to Jesus? Now, we used to sing the old song, If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. We don't sing that anymore. It's a great song. It's a great message. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Sure. But I've still got to decide who's sitting where. Am I the one driving? Or is Jesus in control? Probably theologically, the better song is Terry Underwood's Jesus Take the Wheel. I can't do this. I, I give up. It's all you, Jesus. 
This concept of surrender, it's a tough one for us. You know, it's especially tough for us Americans. There are messages in Scripture that I could go as a preacher and I could preach anywhere and people would love it. There are biblical messages that I could go to any church in town. I could go to any group, any club, any organization, any political rally. I could go anywhere and I could preach a biblical message that people would love. I could tell people, God loves you so much that no matter how much you mess up, He still loves you and He's going to give you another chance. Which, by the way, is true. But people love that message. I'd get a lot of amens on that message. I should, too, by the way. I could tell people, God wants you to slow down a little bit. He wants you to step back and be still. He wants you to relax a little bit. Find some, find some, uh, some energy, you know, just by slowing down. It's a biblical message. People love that message. People amen that message. Everybody connects with that message. But if my message is, you need to surrender your stubborn, sinful life to God. If my message is you are self-centered and you are selfish and you're self-serving, so much so that you don't even know your own brokenness because of the sin in your life, you need to get on your knees. You need to confess your sin to God. You need to repent of that sin and you need to surrender your life to God. Guess what? That message, not so popular. Biblical? Absolutely. Popular? Not so much. Let me say this as plainly as I can, because I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. There is no way for a human being to come to God that doesn't involve surrender. Jesus is really clear on this. There is absolutely no way for anyone to come to God in any way, shape, or form that does not involve surrender. Now, Jesus dealt with people all the time who said, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a faster way or some less complicated way. And Jesus says, no, there's no other way. There's no way to come to God that doesn't involve surrender. So, let me ask you another question. Would you use that word? Would you use the word Surrender to describe your spiritual journey. When you talk about your relationship to God, would you say, mm, yeah, surrender, that's a pretty good word. I would say that surrender describes my life and my relationship with my Lord. Because most people wouldn't. In fact, most Christians wouldn't use the word surrender. Now, We'll say things like, well, I've been drawn to God. I'm very interested in God. Uh, I'm inwardly moved by God. I'm extremely grateful to God. But that's not the question I'm asking, is it? I'm asking, would the term surrendered, would that apply to your relationship with the Lord? I have surrendered my life to God. Because Jesus is so clear on this. Jesus says, I'm not going to do the ride-along thing. 
I've got to be driving the car. I've got to be in control. You've got to hand over the, the keys to me. But one of our biggest cultural conclusions is, no, Jesus is, Jesus is okay in the passenger seat. Because everybody needs a little bit of religion in moderation. You know, our society tells us, well, a little bit of God's a good thing. You know, a little bit of Jesus, that's a good thing. But Jesus will say, that's not an option. I don't want to be an add-on to your life. I don't want to be a part of your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Let me give you some examples of how Jesus worded this himself. Matthew chapter 16. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone would come to me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, John chapter 12. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And be sure you understand what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this idea of surrender. Because as Americans, we don't like the idea of surrendering. When we talk about surrendering, we think of, you know, the big loser. Well, I'm just a doormat then. You know, I'm just going to be stepped on. I'm going to be passive. No retreat, no surrender. That's our motto, right? But that's certainly not the Christian concept of surrender. You know, part of God's will for your life, He wants us to be active. He wants us to make choices. He wants us to be creative, to take initiative, to accept responsibility. Surrendering to God doesn't mean that I fatalistically just accept my life like Eeyore. Okay, I guess whatever happens, I'll just take it. Where's Pooh? No, that's not the idea at all. If you're fully surrendered to the Lord, you're going to be fully accepting the idea that God's in control. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage. It takes a tremendous amount of commitment as well. The surrender doesn't mean that I quit using my mind or I don't think critically or I quit asking questions. Surrendering really is just the idea and the understanding of there is a God and it's not me. That God's ways are much different than my ways and God's wisdom is much deeper than my wisdom and His desire for me is much greater than my desire for myself. Jesus doesn't want to come and rearrange the outside of my life so I look good. He wants my heart. He wants to rearrange the inside of my life so that I am good. When I surrender, I, I let go of my life. I yield it to God. It's really just me telling God, I trust you. I'm giving you the keys to the car. I trust you to know what you're doing in my life. I trust you to know where we're going. Now, surrender is a wonderful decision when you finally realize that God has my best interests at heart. Death to self means life to a better self. 
Ask anyone who's really experienced the joy of surrender, and they'll tell you, you know, your life in the passenger seat is so much better than your life in the driver's seat. When you're allowing Jesus to take control, it's a wonderful adventure. He's leading you to a much better place. David said, He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Asaph says in Psalm 79, Yet I still belong to you. You are holding my right hand. You will keep on guiding me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. You know, we like to ask ourselves, well, can I do that myself? Am I not smart enough? Am I not capable enough? Am I not able to kind of figure things out on my own? And for the most part, most people's answer is, I think so. I think I can do it on my own. I'm smart. I'm capable. I'm pretty talented. Yeah, I think I can figure it out on my own. And Scripture would say, you're a fool. You're a fool if you think you can figure it out on your own. Proverbs 18.2 A fool does not care whether he understands a thing or not. All he wants to do is show how smart he is. If you want to prove to everyone just how smart you are, the Bible says you're a fool. So I guess we sort of come down to three options when we talk about this concept. Option number one, I can lock Jesus out. Shut the door, lock the car. My car, my rules, my way. Jesus, you just stay out of the car. I got it. Let me tell you, option number one, not a very good option. Option number two, I can have Jesus ride around with me. And as I said, a lot of people and a lot of Christians will choose option number two. We're going to stay in the driver's seat, but Jesus, you're willing to ride with us. And we're actually even going to hand over some things in our life to you. We're going to surrender some things. But there are some other areas in our life that we aren't going to surrender. There's other areas in my life that I'm going to hold on to pretty tightly if that's all right. And I'm going to hold on to this grudge. And I'm going to hold on to the pleasure that I find in this particular sin. And I'm going to hold on to the secrecy that I have about hiding behind this particular habit. God, I know you want full surrender, but I'm not sure I'm willing to turn over the keys to the car just yet. Let me tell you, option number two is probably the most frustrating way you'll ever find to live your life. Because the truth is, you can get by for a while. And you can live your life kind of on your own agenda, with your own wisdom and your own abilities. And you might delude yourself into thinking that it's working for you. But living with a divided life, it's a miserable way to live because God has a way of bringing those things to light. God has a way of bringing those things that we are just unwilling to surrender. He has a way of just kind of causing us to have to deal with those things. As long as Jesus remains in the passenger seat, there's going to be conflict. As long as Jesus remains in the passenger seat, you're going to be frustrated. And you're going to be a little bit hypocritical as well. You'll know it. God will know it. 
and eventually so will everyone else. Option two, a really bad option. But there is a good option. And the good option is, I can hand the keys over to Jesus. I can live my life with a surrendered heart. I turn my life and my will over to the Lord. And I know there's a cost. I'm not suggesting that there's not a price to pay here. There's a tremendous cost. But the payoff is so much better than the cost. So I'm going to trust Jesus to take me where He wants me to go. Now, yeah, I do lose a life, but I gain such a better life. And what you start to figure out is all those things that we've been holding on to, all those things that we've just been refusing to surrender, we didn't need those things anyway. Those things weren't helping us anyway. The life that I'm gaining is so much brighter than the old life that I'm leaving behind. Paul uses a very interesting phrase when he talks about living with a surrendered heart. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. I thought I had it on screen. Galatians chapter 2. It'll sound familiar. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Interesting phrase that Paul uses. I've been crucified with Christ. He's not waxing philosophical here. He's saying something happened to me. Something actually happened. I had a defining moment in my life. Now, later on in Romans chapter 6, he's going to talk about how we're able to participate in that crucifixion, in the burial and the resurrection of Jesus through baptism. Paul says, something happened in my life. When I was baptized into Christ, I was a defining moment. Something happened. I was crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. My old life, my old sinful life, my old i got to be in control life, that's gone. That's over. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. Paul says, I'm not driving the car anymore. I know he didn't have cars, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not in control. The one who is in control of my life is the one who loves me and gave Himself for me. So I'm, by faith, I'm just in the passenger seat. I'm trusting Jesus. You remember when Jesus was here on earth, they, they brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And this woman is shamed. She is humiliated. She's about to be stoned. And uh, if you remember the story, Jesus makes some comments and some people walk away and no one's left. And he asked the woman, does no one condemn you? And she says, no. And remember Jesus' response to this woman? Neither do I. I don't condemn you either. but go and sin no more. Jesus says, you need to surrender your sexual conduct to me. Your actions, your lifestyle, your thoughts, your habits, you can't keep doing what you're doing. Now sometimes we think this idea of surrender, well, it's just a one-time thing, I'll surrender it once, I'll be forgiven, then I'll go right back to the sin. And Jesus says, no, you need to surrender that to me. You change your habits. Go. Sin no more. Sometimes it's money, for us especially. Remember a rich young ruler comes to Jesus? How do I inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments. I've done that. Good news. I have surrendered that to the Lord. 
And Jesus says, oh, one other thing that I think you might lack, that you probably haven't surrendered yet, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Excuse me, what? I want you to surrender your wealth to me. I want you to surrender that thing that's keeping you from, from being sold out to me. And if you remember, that young man went away sad. The price was too high. He wasn't willing to change seats with Jesus. He was bothered by it, but he wasn't changed by it. Now, maybe it's a relationship issue with you. Maybe it's a job issue with you. Maybe it's a pride thing going on in your life. But let me close by reminding you of something that I hope gives you a little bit of, uh, of hope. Um, if you find it in your life, it's really hard to surrender things to the Lord. I want to remind you, Jesus knows exactly how you're feeling. Remember that night in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is praying to the Father. And you remember His prayer was, I don't want to do this. I don't want the cross. I don't want the pain. I don't want the shame. I don't want the scorn. I don't want the burden. I don't want the death. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. My will is this, but God, you're in the driver's seat. You drive the car, I'll pay the price. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Surrender. It's such a big word. I'm telling you, it could be the defining word of your life. The day you surrendered to the Lord. When you finally decided, I'm, I'm changing seats. Across the board. I'm surrendering the things that have kept me from God. I'm turning it over to Him. You know, maybe today you find yourself in the same place you've always been. You've worked on it and you've tried to do it through your own might and your own wisdom and you just keep coming back to the same thing, the same place, the same problem. You can't get around it. You can't get past it. You can't get over it. Listen, you'll never get around it until you surrender it to God. Until you say, Jesus, you take the wheel. Because I can't do this anymore. You're in control. Listen, as a church family, if we can help you in any way, if we can pray with you about anything that's going on in your life, maybe today's the day you want to surrender completely to Jesus and say, listen, I want to be crucified with Christ. I want to be buried in baptism. We can make that happen today, or at least we can talk about it. Those defining moments that we need to pay attention to. If we can help you in any way this morning, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium. You can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.